Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Jess Messen Broadcast is hosted by Jess Bowl, a visual artist from Baltimore, Maryland. Jess invites those who have inspired her to recount their tales of becoming professional artists and creators. Through sharing memories and stories, Jess and her guests relive experiences, discuss new projects, and foster new ideas, all while making sense of this crazy pop culture world we live in. Tune in weekly for a variety of guests ranging from musicians, designers, artists, and entrepreneurs who are actively creating the world around us. And now, it's time for Jess Messin Broadcast with Jess Full. Thank you for tuning in to Jeff Messon Broadcast. We're coming to you live on Lion Network Radio. And we are in my studio today in Baltimore. And we have a really special guest with us, Eric Bolivar, who is a dear friend of mine. Eric is a musician who has shared his talents with people all around the world many times over. Born into a musical family in San Francisco, area. Eric started playing drums at the age of four and immediately showed natural ability. And then it goes on. The list goes on and on, but located to New York City and made a splash exploding in Williamsburg. Eric got the call to play with New Orleans-based Grammy award-winning singer, songwriter, Anders Osborne. And, uh, you know, after that, he was let's see, after several flights to New Orleans to play with Anders, he moved to only to be forced out by Katrina, which we're going to talk about a little bit about that. Um, so, and he has kept up playing an ambitious schedule with, you know, a couple, you know, really um, getting over a couple of hurdles, which we get into here too. So anyways, Eric's accomplishments are long. We've been friends for a really long time. Hey, Eric, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Where are you right now? I am currently in my apartment in uptown New Orleans. How is New Orleans looking? It's it's looking all right. It's hot. They were ready for uh, fall. <laughs> it's uh, we're in that uh, that that period of the year where it's it's, uh, it's day after day after day of of uh, ninety plus degrees plus the you know with the humidity and the feels like temperature you know it's around a hundred you know every yeah. Day. We we have that charm here in Baltimore too. Today is the first day yes, that I've been do. able <laughs> to open the windows of the studio, and the flies haven't like swarmed in, which you know is quite <laughs> right. nice, really. So tell us right. about how Eric plays the drums and is a <laughs> lovely vocalist as well. And I want to kind of hear the backstory of how Eric of our uh, the percussionist came to be. So if you can give us that scoop, please. Well, basically, uh, basically I've been playing drums as long as I can remember. Um, and I, I tell people this story and it sounds like, it sounds like I'm making this up, but it's the absolute truth. Um, Christmas morning, um, when I was four years old, uh, our next door neighbors who were basically my like surrogate grandparents. They're like a, a, a whole 
different set of you know set of grandparents that you know, just happened to not be blood related, but they were part of the family anyway. Uh, Dear and Debbie, sure. uh, we called them, um, showed up at our door with uh, Christmas, Christmas morning with a Bugs Bunny drum set. <laughs> um, apparently, I had been banging banging on. I, I don't remember this, but I've been banging on everything. From you know anything in the house and on, on the garbage cans on the side of the house between our houses, and I probably was banging on stuff at their house. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, pots, pans, but, uh, the said, whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, I'm so young I don't remember. Um, but that literally is the f- absolute first memory I have of my life is them at the door with that drum set. Um, That's something in the uh, sense that from there. Like, you recall visually seeing them there with that drum set, like the door opening and, like, that kid vision? The knock knock at the door, the kid vision, the whole bit. It was was a moment. And, uh, like I said, that's that's the very first thing I remember. Well, because when you're a kid, yeah, and, like, everything's larger than life when you're a kid. Like, it's so funny to revisit, you know, and you're like, that's the size of that or whatever. And it was so huge to you at the time. And I remember that, you know, really being visually stimulated, like the first time I went to like, you know, New York Javits Center for a trade show. And now I go to them all the time and I'm like, really? But when I was a kid, it was like, what? All right. So, tell, okay, so we the got the Bugs Bunny the drum set. The biggest thing in the world. Right. So the Bugs Bunny drum set shows up. And, um, of course, I'm thinking it's it's not like the, the big, huge set I'm seeing on TV. So I was a little disappointed, but. <laughs> but um, I I wound up actually breaking the main drum. Uh, so Dad shows up with one of those old school Sears and Roebuck. I'm dating myself here. Uh, Sears and Roebuck drum sets back when Sears was making musical instruments. They had guitars, drums, basses, all kinds of stuff. Um, back in the day. Right. Uh, yeah, and when there, it was like the catalog, yeah. the catalog house, like when they had everything. Sears used to yeah, be kind of like everything. a department store, in a sense. Right. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Literally everything. Um, and then from there, I had um, you know, um, I had a very musical family. <clears throat> um, all the brothers on my my dad's side, including my dad, all played instruments. Um, everybody played horn, except for my uncle Chris, who also played drums. And on my mom's side was also a musical family. My mom was a cellist, mm-hmm. uh, a professional cellist, and also played a little piano uh, and a little flute, too. Um, and also my Uncle Brad was a professional singer. Um, so so were, like, holiday get-togethers, like, did, when your family would get together, was that, like, a jam fest? Or was – or did you uh, guys, we like – We did a little – we did a little bit, but it was it – was, Funny enough, it was more. It was always musical, but not in the, necessarily in the way you would think it would, would be. I mean, we <laughs> we jammed and stuff, but it it was more about playing, listening to music, right? Um, than, than necessarily playing music, and also Just you know we had like it. you know yeah that, and then we also had talent shows that were all, were all physical, you know, in in nature. Um, cool. There's always a music, musical element in, involved. Um, I got to find some of those some of those old tapes, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please do. 
Please do. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Because, like, that right. picture of you in your marching band uniform, for me, is everything. I would have so been your friend. 100%. It would have been all about that. <laughs> so funny. You can yeah, see this photo on Eric's say. Facebook. It's amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> and I was going to say that that kind of leads me to school. You know, I have having a musical family, um, and having people playing in the right direction musically. Um, one thing is that it really helped my ear. Um, I was blessed with a really good musical ear, um, but also with having having all the people, you know, around and having their influence. Um, I was listening to already listening to kind of stuff that was above my head, but with their help, I was I was you know, listening to music way above my age, you know. You know I'm, yeah, I'm like and five, absorbing six, it. Yeah, at least getting as much as I could out of it. And from five, six, you know, I'm listening to Weather Report, Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock and, and all this stuff, Stanley Clark, and, and of course I'm listening to, you know, Earth on the Fire and all the all the soul stuff, James Brown, all the stuff that's already in the house. But right. I'm already already proactively searching out stuff at that age, which I didn't realize was, was normal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I thought that was normal, but of course, you know, your, your life is normal. until so you, you start getting around other people as you, <laughs> Who, as you get a little older and realize that, wow, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not just listening to talk for you. I'm not yeah. Actively out here searching for stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that really doesn't make you cool until later on. I feel like, like if, like yeah, in the no, early definitely, years, definitely. that yeah, like that's really dope later on. But you're definitely kind of a weirdo when you're like, "Have you heard about this?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. And not only that, but when I was up in, up until I was around ten, in my mom's neighborhood, that was predominantly you know, Hispanic and black and, and, and uh, let's say the, the other side of the, the tracks, literally mm-hmm. in San, San Mateo, in the area, um, it was not okay for me to be listening to rock. That turned into a whole thing, you know, right. people, people were like, it's, it's a Satan worship and stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah, well, I'm sure, especially, too, coming up with, like, the, like, the 50s, 60s soul and all that, like, you know, kind of vibe, which would have been funk and soul and all that stuff, and then, like, all of a sudden, like, were you attracted to that early on, like, the rock element of music? I, I was so, I was really attracted to it. Um, My uncle Scott actually introduced me to, into what was, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin and Rush, which would really Rush really impacted my life. Um, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and everybody, everybody assumes, oh yeah, Neil Peart. I'm like, no. I mean, that, I mean, of course that was an impact. But looking back, it was really the guitar. Mm-hmm. And hearing and hearing that kind of power coming out of the guitar, you know, the only thing. Close up until that point was like I guess the Isley Brothers with that kind of a lead, you know, screaming guitar thing going on, you know. But um, it's such an interesting thing. 
for you as a drummer to mention because, you know, I think there's always an effect. I was looking over a list of people that I, you know, I'm close with and it's like guitar players and drummers and, you know, a lot of keys and stuff, but like inevitably the, the, it's, the people that I'm really connected with as musicians are really powerful with their instruments. They're not up there just, you know, kind of like men. They're really noticeable for what they do. Like, and I think we often see that with guitar players because it's front and center. You know what I mean? It's interesting for you to like mention like the term power when it comes to an instrument and kind of like, understanding like the sexiness of a musician and kind of like how that's being conveyed. I think that, I don't know if I've ever heard someone say like, like the power of a guitar in all these years, believe it or not, or the, the right. power of like the instrument. So that's <clears throat> okay. All right. Keep teaching. Man. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so initially, you know, coming from what was played in the neighborhood and, you know, since, you know, Cameo and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Parliament, and Funkadelic, and you know, all that stuff. Um, to suddenly hear the stadium filling sound, you know, from one instrument, it was just like, wow, you know. Right. Um, and not only that, but but um, again, I was so too young to realize what I was really keyed into, but hearing how Alex Lifeson, the guitarist from Rush. Um, played with extensions on chords, um, not usual rock chords and different ways of voicing things and uh, his approach, you know, to texture and ambience um, really, really, really got to me. And the whole band, don't get me wrong, of course, Milford and Getty Lee and the whole sound, but right. the, uh, even even today, I key in on what Alex is doing. Right. Um, most, you know, first and for foremost. But uh, so that was a huge, huge moment that, you know, that was a benchmark moment was sitting in my uncle's uh, room in Hollywood, Maryland, close to you, not too far from you, by the way. Right. Um, sitting there listening to, to rock for the first time. I, I'll never forget that. I think I was six, six years old, six or seven. Yeah, I, I think, think I six, you know. Yeah. For me, like, I really got into a variety of music from really early. My mom and my dad were really just all all over the board and stepdad with what they listened to. So I was very lucky, and I think that definitely applies to, you know, my um, attraction of what I'm into today. But for me, mm-hmm. like, that moment was – I'll never forget, I – bought the Michael Jackson history box set mm-hmm. and I had bought like, you know, obviously other music before then, but I, the second disc, that track that he does with my, or with Janet Jackson called scream, like scream. Yeah. Just, yeah. just lit me up. And then they came out with this video that was so far out, like sci-fi yeah, robotic. Yeah, yes, and like yeah. that for me, like I'm talking about it right now. I have goosebumps, like I'm getting the chi- like the shivers. Like I know what you're talking about in that moment where you notice 
something and like I couldn't get enough of it like I was on MTV every day waiting for that video I was you know and (laughs) now look where we are today but like I remember that that was really one of the first times that you know I saw saw and heard something together and like my mind exploded and like also I saw ZZ Top when I was like a kid like I was like seven or eight years old and it was the legs tour and they had the cage dancers it was it was hella inappropriate but my I was there and um you know and I remember those cage dancers coming down and like the whole stage like with smoke and fire and they're spinning their guitars and everything and I was like yo this is it this is for me for sure like I was done totally done like I was like oh I'm so screwed and I was like a kid I was like lit up all right so okay now you're in high school and we're we're moving on with this this passion for music so okay keep going <laughs> yeah so high school at that point um I'm really listening hard even before high school like middle school into high school um I had a ritual of uh getting blanket set tapes remember those Yes. Uh, TDK is and Maxwell, like using a pencil minutes, to fix minutes. them. Yeah right. Yeah right. Mm. So I would I would regularly tape KS KSJS, which is uh, San Jose State University's radio station. Uh, shout out to Joel Wyrick, uh, DJ. What up, Joel? Um, what up, Joel? If you're listening. Um, <laughs> and uh, funny enough, he became my boss later. I didn't put two and two together that I was listening to him. Uh, anyway, that's uh, a whole other story. Um, so I used to tape KSJS and KSCU, Santa Clara University and Foothill College University and KFPA and Berkeley on a regular basis. And I would just tape and then go do something. Like I'd go play with my friends or, you know, practice or, you know, go hang out or you know, go, to, go, go play video games or whatever, you know. Come back at some point, flip the tape over, record, and, you know, I do this all weekend. Um, and off of those tapes, I would get amazing songs, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I would just listen and learn and take what I really liked and and learn it and learn it and learn it and, and listen and obsess and really try and figure out what was going on, top to bottom, every sound, not just drums, but, you know, everything going on musically. And sonically, um, and uh, that really served me well for learning music. And to this day, I'm still constantly having to learn a bunch of songs. And people always say, "I know, every, I know every song already," you know, which is pretty funny. But mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I listen to so much different music. I was always listening to everything: jazz, rock, you know. Well, and also you probably e- have like a like in a sense, like you know, as as I am a self-taught visual artist, like I can relate to what you're saying. See certain things that I I personally feel are difficult or interest. I will obsess over it visually until it processes mm-hmm. in my brain of how to do that. Like before, like I don't right. sit down and and like say, oh, I like how this looks. I'm going to go try it. Like I've probably been looking at it for a month. Like, or, you know, really absorbing it. And then I sit down and I give it a shot and it's really in there. And, you know, right. I think that's not necessarily to somebody. Like if you have that like ear that you were training from really early on, you know, it probably is 
you know, fine to say that you do know every song because in a sense, like you have an ability to pick up on, you know, commonalities with things that you are familiar with, you know, even if Absolutely. you don't know it for real. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to, I still do this in stores or, you know, when music is playing in the background somewhere, I'll key into it and try and guess where it's going to go. And a lot of the times I'm right, you know. Of course, we're not right every time, but but it's it, it, even from a young age, I would be kind of surprised that I would kind of know where it was going, you know. Yeah, like you'd be, able to, um, you'd be, you'd like, be like, predictive with it. Right, exactly. So... Where are we at? We're at high school. So high school, doing, I'm doing marching band, doing jazz band, and you know, doing uh, for a brief stint. I did the San Jose Youth Symphony. So I'm getting into the orchestral uh, percussion training. Um, not at this point in time. I'm not really getting pushed on the drum set, mm-hmm. um, which comes back, comes back to kind of haunt me a little bit. Um, but at this point, I'm going hardcore into the marching world and into the drum corps world and eventually wind up marching uh, with the Santa Clara Vanguard drum and vehicle corps, um, which was a 15 minute drive from my house, which I, again, don't realize how fortunate that I I am to grow up um, at that point with three top 12 drum and vehicle corps within an hour and a half, two hour drive. Um, Santa Clara Vanguard, Conquer Blue Devils, and Sacramento Freelancers at that time. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a people... really, a really valuable thing to note because that's something that I think you know, based on location, and for people who are listening, that you know, like, because I get messaged a lot where it's like, you know, how are you able to find these opportunities or whatever? I am in a location. City is three hours up the road. Philly is an hour up the road. DC is forty-five right. minutes down the road, and Baltimore itself. Right is a pretty happening place in retrospect of, you know, the grand scheme things. So, you know, being from an area that offers you that is a step forward in many respects, you know, like you're already kind Absolutely. of a little ahead of the game. So for those Absolutely. listening that are in like remote areas, like don't be discouraged by that, but they're, you know, but it's interesting, even with you saying that, like, you know, you easily could have like joined a rock band or like a garage band or something of that nature. But I do have a lot of respect for the fact that you explored different avenues of music that like, you know, to go into to the orchestral thing when you're like in high school isn't necessarily like the hippest thing to do. Right. Like, I don't think no, you're going to get not late, all, late not being in the orchestra. <laughs> right. So, no, you right, know, right. but. But in the long run, like, you know, like, hey, well, you know what they say about van camp. (laughs) But, you know, but but like in the long run, you have a foundation of music that is definitely greater than just a just a genre or a category, you know. Right, right, right. And that was actually, it's funny, which is I didn't join a rock band or whatever. That was always a frustration. We were always trying to put a band together. I, I grew up with an extremely talented musician. Um, but there was always a problem of finding a bass player. That was the main problem. That, or a guitarist. We could always find, you know, the frustrated shredder metalhead guys but we were already listening. Most of my friends were already listening to stuff that was a little 
Yeah, we like that stuff too, don't get me wrong. But we couldn't find yeah, anybody. Yeah, like as like a party trick. Else. Yeah. Right. We couldn't find anybody that knew anything else. Like let alone like maybe a couple couple jazz chords or some R and B or some funk or you know. Um right. or rock but knew other stuff too. But you know, it was like all metal all the time or or all jazz. We couldn't find anybody in the middle. <laughs> you were like, okay. Okay, so let's so fast never forward. Get, you can never get anything off the ground anyway. So fast forward. Yeah, right. And we'll play can you in these. You broke up a little bit. Say that one more time. Could you please learn these Uh-oh. five songs that we'll play? Are you there? Yeah, there you are. Now I can hear you. Okay. Um, like, play these five songs and we'll play two of your songs. I'll meet in the middle, but no. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, okay, so let's talk about when the you know, your background and like everything that you had been kind of building for yourself is like an interest and a hobby, really, because I mean you're in high school and obviously like education and whatever. Um, so when is it that that turns into something that? you're doing, you're getting paid for it, it becomes a professional option, and then it becomes something that you're like, okay, I can totally afford my lifestyle by doing this, even though we all realize it's hard at times, but like, when it, yeah. that, where are those jumps for you? So, I mean, if, backing up, um, I'd always known I was going to be in business, there was never any any kind of doubt Um honestly, I mean, there was never, yeah, was I never had to, I never had to decide like, what am I going to do? You know, I, I don't know what that's like. I mean, yeah, it, you're it like the came... Lieutenant Dan of, you know, music, like everybody <laughs> in your family fought and died right. in the creative war. So, okay, I get it. <laughs> so coming out, of the drum, coming out of the drum course thing, I'm teaching uh, marching band percussion, teaching drum lines um, and percussion sections uh, in California, in San Jose and in Central Valley, California. Um, and I get a, pretty much a dream job offer at Saratoga High School, um, which has, uh, after years of teaching at schools that had a lot of heart and a lot of passion and a lot of drive, um, but didn't necessarily have the funding. I finally get the, an offer from a school that has all of it, you know, including the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and funny enough, right when that happens, I get the call to audition for Carl Denson's Tiny Universe. Um, so what do you do? So I wind up getting the audition. I get the I get the gig. Um, so I'm still. When I'm in town, I'm still, you know, helping out at Saratoga. But it becomes obvious pretty quickly I'm not going to be able to do it full-time. Right. Um, no, the touring schedule was just too crazy. So I'm jumping way ahead. There's bands that, you know, I've been in, obviously, in the Bay Area, Rock City Posse. Uh was doing fairly well um, in the Bay Area and also in the, the Central Coast. Um, that's where the band actually started, San Luis Obispo. Um, that was a band my, my one of my best friends, Eric Cotton, started. Um, we still play together to this day. Um, and then Kissing Sabrina with with my uh, childhood, you know, other childhood friends. 
um, that was a band that started out as a as a cover band that was going to fund our original project, but the original project never really got off the ground for one reason or another. And in that time was when I went full time. Mm-hmm. And and with that with that band actually with Kiss and Sabrina that's when I was I was full time I wasn't doing anything else but music um, so that's around ninety seven okay um, jeez seems like God that's a long time ago I know when you um, you know when you add that together now it's not ten anymore it's twenty. <laughs> right 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 like right it, exactly like it's, like there's exactly. a whole section of yeah. I have to remind myself that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's really yeah. crazy. Uh-huh. Um, so, so 97, so then jumping up to 2000, Carl. Someone called us this tiny universe touring uh, North America until Labor Day 2001. September, and then get the call that um, my services were going to be needed, and then a couple of days later, September 11th happens. Okay. Um, so so I couldn't hear weird... you. You were moving the phone a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying, uh, I, I was in Colton up until Labor Day weekend, September 2001, and then a couple of days later, um, got fired from that, and then 9-11 happened. Uh-huh. very weird, kind of a dark, you know, time because I just I've been out with him and busy enough with him um, enough where I had lost everything else I was doing. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right, well, that's... When I, right at that point where I lost everything and not, you know, wasn't doing anything else, it was right when I you know, lose that kick. So it was I think that's a, a really very, valuable yeah. conversation to have just to interrupt you. Like, you know, yeah. I think one of the things with creative careers and it's a good time you know because you can definitely give insight on this is that the one Mm -hmm. thing with creative careers is that there's there's really so little time that once you become a full-time artist in whatever you do you know like you know if you very easily stop having your your own life and your life becomes your art and you know you feel like at least for me like well, you know, it is. I'm doing this for myself. I'm living my dream, so it's fun. But it can easily get away from you. And you know, Absolutely. with the the opportunities, you know, I, I'm a Catholic school survivor, so I have like terrible guilt that I'm like, am I working enough? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Um, so you know, but with you know, juggling opportunities, like, and this is something that my mom really ingrained in me, and it was very hard for me to understand really until later on is like the whole theory of putting all your eggs in one basket, you know? And, you know, when I was starting off in music, like I was so involved with the music and I just like love being around music and stuff, but it's hard to make money as an artist, a visual artist in music all the time. Um, You know, and she was in the background, like saying, you gotta, you gotta do this and you gotta do that. Or you have to try to like share the, you spread it around. So when one ball drops, you have something else. And, you know, when you're a touring musician, that's like impossible to do. Like I've been able to, yeah, I've been able to recently, especially like, and thanks a lot to my commercial work, 
um, have something in the queue that if money gets tight or things get slow, I can go always go into my commercial work and revive that. You know, it's, it's artwork, you yeah. know, but for you, you know, and other musicians, when you're on the road, you're on the road, man, like you're 110%. Really, it's very difficult to separate and allocate time for other things. So if you commit to something, and, you know, for lack of better words, hits the fan, you know, like mm-hmm. you're, you're starting from scratch. You're like back. It's like getting right. recruited for sports. Absolutely. You know, you're like back out on the market. Absolutely. Okay. So what do you yeah, do when you, yeah. Like, so you come home, nine eleven happens and you know, you're in this situation where you're kind of like, okay, what am I going to pick now? And also the world's in like total depression and, <laughs> God, what yeah, we're in a weird, up? we're in a very weird place, you know. <laughs> what a screwed up time um, that was, man. And a little side note, my drum set coming back from that last tour um, missed the last flight on September 10th. They were supposed to fly my drum set back to San Jose on, on, on September 10th. And, it, and they got to the airport too late. Um, so they long story short, they could not get it on a plane, obviously. Right. <laughs> so you're like you're um, like out of work and literally out of an instrument. <laughs> yeah, my instrument stuck. Yeah, it was, it was a weird time. So yeah, Southwest definitely. employee actually drove my drum set up in his truck from San Diego. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you, nice. Southwest, by the way. Totally. Shout <laughs> <laughs> um, out. So from there... Um, I jumped into a, a new project called Global Funk Council. Um, Anthony Smith and I took that on um, with kind of a, a, a band he was in um, with kind of dissolving. Um, Carlos Washington's Giant People, another West Coast band. Um, they were kind of, there was a kind of a, a, a mutiny, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> Bands are fun like that. Like the one thing that I think is kind of amazing <laughs> is like I'm always jealous of bands because when you're in a band, there's like four or five of you that can help the marketing and help the notoriety and get like the the energy and the following and all that stuff going. Like it's on five of you, right? right. What I'm doing, right. it's it's pretty much all on me and right. the character that is Jess Full, the artist, right? As opposed right. to band and being like, oh, I'm team keys or I'm team drummer. You know what I mean? Like, you right. know, you're either right. you're either team Jess or you're not. <laughs> and right. Right. It's kind of a lot to handle, but also the that's like the negative side of it. The plus side of it is like, I don't have five personalities and like the mutiny and the dynamic going on within my creativity Uh that like, it's never going to deter anything. You know what I mean? Like I never have to worry about my art breaking up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Breaking up. Right, right. You know, right. like, Absolutely. like unless, like, I don't know, like, the personalities in my head get upset with each other, but we're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got it down. <laughs> Everyone's getting along. Nice. <laughs> okay, so, right. 
<laughs> Talk about, let's fast forward to being in New Orleans and playing music during Katrina. Because, you know, you you moved to New Orleans to work with, I'm assuming, Anders, right? Yeah, I met him when I was living in New York. Um, and uh, actually, I met him on my way to New York. I met him at the High Sierra Music Festival in uh, Quincy, California. Yeah. In the Sierras. Um, introduced by uh, our friend Doug Belote. Uh We were staying at opposite hotels across the street from one another. Um, and I met Doug actually on tour in New Orleans with Carl Denson. Um, so that kind of strings that together. Um, he, mm-hmm. he was one of the people that uh, I met, um, like, you know, one of those nights off during jazz or, or something like that. Um, well, that's the whole whole important thing about tour. Like, people think when you're on tour, you're just with your band, and, like, I did enough of it. And that was really a thing with, you know, different musicians and bands and stuff to know, like, some of the people that I met along the way have been, that had nothing to necessarily do with the band that I was with directly, you know, right. being right. some of the most, you know, poignant people along this Absolutely. little adventure of Absolutely. mine, you know? Absolutely. Like, similar person, I think, shout out would be uh, Patrice Blanchard. Um, I haven't talked to him in, in years and missed him. Like, he was a friend of, mutual friend of Ron Johnson, um, <laughs> who also, right. we, we, played in band, we played in bands together in San Jose. And now he lives here, and he also lives in New York for a while. So we've been kind of following each other around the, around the globe. It's pretty funny. But anyway, our friend Patrice is the one that got me into a band called Radio Mundial in Brooklyn. And that band sent me all over the world. Um, the Latin rock band. Um, uh, anyway, in during that period is when I'm, I'm touring with Anders also, but Anders' schedule is really light, so I'm uh-huh. doing other things on on top of that. I'm I'm kind of doing Anders, and then later on I'm, I'm playing with Bonarama, and and so I'm half half in New Orleans and half in Brooklyn at this yeah. at this point. <clears throat> and then Radio Mundial kind of fizzles after the label folds, and it's a total behind the music story that I, we don't have time to get into right now. Uh, but we played our last show in Singapore, come back to New Orleans full-time, and then a couple months later, Katrina hits. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear about this. So, so that whole time, so I'm in, I happen to be in San Francisco with Anders playing two shows at the Boom Room Room. Um, and when we left... Uh, Katrina was supposedly hitting Florida and going to supposedly go back out to sea. We weren't. This is Thursday when we were leaving, you know, or Thursday morning, Friday morning, whatever. Uh, late Thursday night, Friday morning. Coming back from a gig. Had stopped watching it at this point, you know, because it's a non-event now. It's, it's supposed to go back out to sea, whatever. Yeah, false alarm. So fly, yeah, fly out, to, fly out to San Francisco with barely anything, you know, just two days worth of clothes. And and side note, the first time I had ever not flown with at least my cymbals and my snare drum. Um, You're like, it's I, fine. Uh, <laughs> well, it was fine, it was fine because uh, the, 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 the guy that was providing the back line or the, the drums and the equipment that I was going to be right. using, uh, Clayton, 
shout out to Clayton. Um, <laughs> I had everything I like, everything I like, and everything I love. So I, I didn't need it. And also, I was hoping to. I was I was actually thinking about trying to go to New York and get. I still had a couple suitcases worth of stuff in New York. Right. That I still needed to bring down to New Orleans. So I was thinking, ah, let me just go with barely anything, and then I'll. I'll oh please, Eric. You. Don't try to tell me that, that any day you don't have to haul your own crap isn't a good day. <laughs> and, that, and that and that too. It was like, man, that's really yeah. This, this is awesome, you know. Right. Of course. That that is. That's um, like when you really start making it as an artist. Like when I roll up to to gigs and stuff, and we have everything here for you. I'm like dusting right. off my shoulder. Yeah. Right. 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 I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Seriously, you know. Um, yeah, those gigs, those gigs where you walk off, walk off the bus, go to catering, go back on the bus, take a nap, get up, yeah. go to catering, walk on stage. Few and far between, someone man. You, <laughs> someone hands you your stick, someone hands you your ears, puts them in your ears for you, turns your, your wireless pack on, and you just sit down and click off the band, and then crazy the, with some Avion. <laughs> right, they show you hand them your wireless pack, go back to catering. <laughs> that, that's what it's that's what's those, up but you know those, those are the days but anyway so, um, so coming back to new yeah, orleans so and new, katrina so, so you return so back to new orleans, katrina katrina happens so kind of stranded so at this point i'm taking work basically anywhere there's a bed involved at this point i'm not even lying you know because if you know if there's a hotel room i'm there yeah if people are calling me, yeah hey, man, i gotta travel because there's nothing here Right. Are you available for? I'm like, is there a bed? <laughs> like no problem. I was basically, I was basically spending time between you know San Francisco and the in the, the the Greater Bay Area, you know, crashing on friends' houses at you know couches in people's spare rooms and stuff. Um, How did that affect York. you musically, like personally and musically, like the because you know Baltimore's a hotbed for a lot of crazy stuff that goes on around here and like I know that it definitely affects me when um we have situations in town here and you know our government here is like a mess and it's pretty depressing but um right. you know we haven't had really like a, a natural disaster that is yet to be rectified so how has that affected you like emotionally like and and what does that do for you artistically? You know, like, are you like, especially being such like an audio and visual person in that environment as changing your process? I can tell you this. The shows in New Orleans and that first six months or so when everybody was first starting to come back, yeah, were amazing, absolutely amazing. Because like a rival. the people, the people that were there, really, really, really wanted to be there. Right. You know, there it was only the hardcore millennium <laughs> that were that yeah, were like they try um, and that like really was, believe in the culture of what that provides. You know. Absolutely, and 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 need it. It's just just like they need. Food. They needed that. They needed music, and right. to have to have that type of environment. I mean, you're on generator power or 
barely on city power and might cut out at any moment, you know. Um, it was an amazing time. I mean, I missed I missed the first couple of gigs where it was like there were, people were playing gigs on their own generators, uh-huh. you know, and camp and and candlelight acoustic shows, and I missed that by a few weeks. But um, I got back here in October, the first time I got back here. Um, and this happened August 29th. Katrina was August 29th. Yeah. So I was, I was back here in mid to late October. So it was still a mess. Like you were driving through National Guard checkpoints, curfews. What are you doing out this late? I'm a musician. I'm trying to play for people. Yeah, I remember you, know? <laughs> you posting that it was like, I remember you like posting something that somebody stopped you and you were like, I'm trying to get to work. Like, you know, yeah, like it work. was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And so what yeah, has been yeah. like the transition with that? Like, how have, how have you seen New Orleans change and even just like your personal culture in New Orleans being obviously so involved and connected to like the, the music industry of New Orleans, you know, have you seen changes in dynamic or changes in that, you know, in sound or anything that has been kind of reflective of the disaster and how it like continues to loom in the backwoods? Well, a few things have happened here. Um, One absolute tragedy is that it has gotten way more expensive to live here since Katrina. Um, And a few things have caused that. Um, Immediately after Katrina, because there was so much damage, I mean, 80% of the city had flooding. Um, You had, you know, supply and demand problems right right off the bat. Uh, And then apparently from what I've I've learned, and don't quote me on this, but I, I, I might say this not quite Right, but the, the city had been under assessed uh, property wise yeah. for years, and after Katrina, all of a sudden that changed. So property right. values went through the roof. Um, well, they overnight. had to get in there and fix. And also, with that said, I mean, because we have a lot of issues with that here, like infrastructure and stuff in Baltimore. And, like, you know, we just had the right. horrible flooding, which nothing compares to Katrina. But, I mean, it was disaster right. over in Ellicott right. City, just the way that's built. And, like, you go in there and you rebuild all that old stuff and make it new. That's going to change something right there. Right. So, right off the bat, you have, you know, all kinds of renovation going on. And, of course, landlords want to, you know, recoup their money. Um and hello. Yeah, I'm there. Is that Do you me? Hear me? Yeah, I don't know. Who cares? Keep going. Hang on, hang on, hang on one second. I don't know what he's that doing. That would be my that would be my my Instagram turned on all of a sudden. Some some live show was blasting in my ear. I don't know if you could hear it. <laughs> so, cell phone culture. I know. Like I'm like, what is that noise? Exactly. And then it's like my purse talking exactly. to me. I'm like, oh my god, stop. <laughs> right, 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 right. Everyone. So, silence. So anyway, so yeah, so supply and demand issues. You have renovations um, up, you know, at a level that you know you'd never seen down here, obviously before. Uh, and then, 
one of the good and bad things is all of a sudden a lot of people wanted to move down here. Right. Um, people, people that were coming to help out, uh, people that were coming to just check out what all the hoopla was about, the city that they kept hearing about, you know. Uh, maybe they had never been here before, or, you know, or maybe they were watching all the news, and then suddenly there's a show called Treme. Um, which Eric was on. Spot, you can tell us about that yeah, too. I was, I was I was on a couple times. Um, which, well, and that that but, goes to so, tell you about marketing. I mean, that's that's really like I mean, you would have to give that to like the tourism of New Orleans, like kind of figuring out a way to turn tragedy into triumph in a, in a sense, because, you know, you had so many people displaced and financially capable of, you know, living in the environment, like the new environment that was imposed really, you know? So, right. you, I mean, it's like gentrification of a, of a different kind, really. And that's what, that's what I was getting to. That's what we're having now. We're, we're, you're, you're starting to see, unfortunately, the same things that's on the Bay area that baby blue. And the same thing in Williamsburg that made me move. <laughs> yeah, I got to Williamsburg to right when that was happening. I was like, later. Yeah, it's starting to happen here. It's starting to happen here now. It's like, it's like you're getting all the things that make the area great and the things people want, people, the things that people love about this area are getting pushed out, priced out, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Like all, all the funkiness and artsy stuff in San Francisco has been almost obliterated. It is very little bit left, you know. Yeah. Um, and the same thing in New York. It's getting further and further out in Brooklyn. Pretty soon we're going to be out in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> I know. My first apartment, <laughs> first apartment that I actually paid for for as long as I could um, until I well until I moved into Williamsburg was in like Ridgewood, Queens, and mm-hmm. then after I moved into Brooklyn, and then I you know few years after I moved out of Brooklyn, or New York entirely, like a TV show was on, on called Quicklin, and it was literally about the street that my apartment was on. And I had to take subways and trains that barely even ran or existed. Like I remember yeah, telling yeah. people, I, li- I live off the M train and they'd like laugh at me. And I'm like, no, right. seriously, there is right. one. Now it's right. a legit well, line. The but M, the M train. The yeah, M funny, train. I, I was just in Ridgewood last week. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So like, you yeah. know, and the place at the time was like 400 bucks a month and for my room. And I was talking to someone recently out of there and they were like, my room was like $895 and it takes you forever mm-hmm. to get into the city. I was like, yo, okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, game over. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not interested. But that's the thing about um, my block here in uh, Baltimore, in the building I live in. It's the closest thing that I've been able to find to Brooklyn, like the way I remember it. And I'm pretty sure nothing is going to change around here. So I'm pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, like my, my bodega serves wrap snacks, and I love it. I love it. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about working on Treme and what that was all like. So Treme, you know, was, was really cool. It was, it was a, a normal, a normal film shoot. You get there really early in the morning. You're there most of the day. Um, but the cool thing about Treme, for I think the first time was I was I was a member of Bonorama. Uh, we actually got to play live. Never happened. Um, yeah. TV and film shoots, usually mimicking or miming. 
uh, a pre-recorded track. Um, right. So you got to play for real. But the funny thing is you're trying to create a late night, you know, midnight to one in the morning club environment. And it's like eight yeah. in the morning, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, we, and most of us played the night before and we've gotten three hours sleep or whatever, you know. Yeah. So that was the only the, the weird part about it. It's it's a club scene being shot first week of the morning, trying to get, you know, the the, the vibe and the spirit. You're like everybody look hammered. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone looked like well, just come from the night before. That'll be great. Well, I mean, that had to be cool. Just come straight here, you know. Yeah, that'll that'll be authentic. That had to be cool to be part of a project, though, that really, like, kind of solidifies the culture and history of New Orleans. You know, like to be involved to that degree with the with the music scene there. I mean, that's a forever deal. I mean, that was award winning. You know, and absolutely, really, really neat. Right, and 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 to zipper for some perspective or, or quite as it's kept or whatever, I was still really new to the scene. So for me to be accepted into bands like Andrews Osborne and Bonorama and playing with Kirk Joseph and Tim Green and Andrews and Mark Mullins and Craig Klein and, and everybody, you know, and and Brian O'Neill, rest in peace and, and you know, everybody. It just it it was really amazing and, and uh that was one of the most amazing things about the city is that it just really opened its arms to me um, in an amazing way where everything, everything had been a struggle for me. Um, everything had been a fight, you know, and right. until I got here. And then for the, for those few months before Katrina, everything was amazing. <laughs> yeah. You're like, that was actually not about, Yeah. Um, no, I, I can I totally can relate to, live, to that. I can afford to live alone. I can afford to live alone, and that was unheard of in the area of New York, you know. And, and yeah, for sure. You know, just you know, <clears throat> they call the big easy, big easy for a reason. It's very easy yeah, for a while. I mean, I think that's like always how I felt. Even you know, I was talking about Michael about this last week, and you actually just played a gig with Michael and Fuzz. I was watching that online, and I was having the best time. We're talking about. Um, we're talking about Michael and Fab, y'all. Yeah, Michael Weintraub and his instrument head was on the show last week. Um, and Fuzz will be on later whenever we have Fuzz on. But um, so anyways, I can. that's how I felt when, you know, ironically for me, like when I got to New York, which is a place where it's like if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. That's the right. – right. that was a very easy transition for me. I was – really welcomed into the music scene professionally, personally. I built a lot of relationships. Like the doors kind of opened wide for me musically and then artistically in New York City, which like is backwards right. as hell, right? And now right, right, I live right, right. in Baltimore and it's been a struggle here for me to get my footing as a fine artist, which is something I work on very, very and study on a lot. And, you know, it, it does make a difference when you land somewhere and, you know, you kind of have a path and people embrace you to educate you and welcome you into the creative fold of what they're doing. I mean, that's why I spend so much time in Buffalo because, you know, the Goo Goo Dolls camp and music is art and the artists involved 
with that project, you know, welcome me with open arms. Like for instance, I'm going up there in a couple, in two weeks to do the music is art festival. And I'm going to do kind of like this street art spray bomb artwork. And I really want to learn about street art. I really per- perceive it as something that's going to become part of my agenda, but I'm super curious about it and it's love it. Very, very huge, huge down here. Yeah. And like, I've been trying to learn it here in Baltimore and I've had a hard time, like finding people that are accepting to like share that knowledge. And I'm going to go up to Buffalo and in two weeks and learn from two of the greatest street artists from the new, like the Western New York area. So like, you know, um, to have those opportunities and to like that, have that path be open for you is such a substantial thing because first of all, it lays, the groundwork of comfort to explore your craft, you know, like when it's like, okay, you're here, let's see what you can do. Like, it's fine. Is a completely different feeling when you're trying to accomplish something creatively than being like on eggshells and being like, let me see what you can do, kid. You know, like, No one right. works well under that environment. Like it's really a disservice, you know. So when you find those, you know, those kind of like I want to call it a cakewalk in a sense, because it's like you you get your footing and you're just like, okay, I I feel comfortable here to at least try to get better, you know. Absolutely. It's a game changer. Yep. 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 Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I moved back spring. Uh, 2006 and uh, I'm still playing with uh, uh, I was still with Anders Osborne and Bonorama um, well in 2006 yeah let's talk about because you and I became friends through you played with some cat from Japan right yes at yep. my Hard Rock Cafe gig when Michael and I collaborated and I painted his photography. And so that was yes. the first time you and I met, I believe, right? Yes, it was. First time I remember meeting you. We might have, <laughs> we might have ran into each other and performed, but the first time we actually officially met. Yeah, you know, touche, touche. Yeah, well, you got a full definitely. dose of Jess Full that day, so. <laughs> 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 that was a fun time. And that day was And then hot. I saw, yeah, then we... We've been buds up since. Oh my god, the hottest yeah. Hottest was legitimately the hottest day of that summer. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I still am so thankful for all of you that played that gig because like I remember and you played at nighttime, but like I'll never forget watching Tom Hamilton and the American Babies play and uh, watching Tommy literally almost die. Like I, he got off stage and was like, I'm just going to go swimming in the Harbor. And I was like, please don't man. Like yeah, he was, right. cause he played right at like peak sun. He played at like two thirty yeah, three. Yeah. Like right, right. Yeah. Yeah. A beautiful place, though, but, yeah, that was a hot day. Um, So let's talk about, yeah, what's happened with you personally, because I want to talk about the fact that Eric was diagnosed with stage four kidney disease, was it? Five. Five. And that was how how many years ago now? So January 15th, uh, 2015, uh, I was diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease. Um, 
and have been. And I want to I want to preface this with pretty straight edge. I mean, like I've never even like it's not like anything that was premeditative because of you know lifestyle or anything. So I mean, not that that matters, but it. But everyone's like rock stars and their kidney disease. That's not right. 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 No. (laughs) Nothing like I didn't. I didn't drink myself into it. I didn't drug myself into it. I don't do drugs anyway, but, um, yeah, everybody asks, well, how did you get this? You know, uh, yeah. and doctors, and I'm like, it's, I have this polycystic, which is genetic, by the way. Um, right. It's like, not like I have high blood pressure, diabetes, or, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, so I got diagnosed in January 2015. I am on the transplant list. Uh, I haven't given up hope to get a live donor, um, but that's getting harder and harder as, as you know different people get tested and find out they're not a match. Um, so what is it? But, how do you, for anyone listening, you can? How do you get tested to be a match? Basically, you would be the first step down to donate. The first step is the first step is would call Tulane Medical Center. And asked for Elizabeth Wands, who's the transplant coordinator. That's the okay. first step. Talk to her. You don't call me. You don't email me. You don't ask me questions. Call her. Um, and uh, I don't and say I'll, that I'll post, because I don't want to. I'll I don't post this deal information on my. No, I'll post my this information on my Facebook page if anyone's really curious after the show. But okay, keep telling us. That'd be awesome. And I, yeah. and I say it like that. Everybody wants to ask me, well, what's your blood type? And what's and it's like because they they want to cancel them and they cancel themselves out before they even you know call. So right. I implore you if you're interested, call. Don't ask any questions, especially for me. Call the coordinator. Um, yeah, call the professionals and they'll explain have, it super yeah, clearly. They, they have been a, the reason I say that is there have been advances in technology which don't necessarily. Your blood type doesn't necessarily count you out. That's why, it's, okay. that's why I don't want to answer what my blood type is. You know, all right, the time. got it. Um, right, right, right. It is. Plus, it's know, kind of personal, you know, man. Like, you know, I don't go around like telling people my blood type. <laughs> don't even, you know, I'm not like, yo, I'm Jess and I'm B negative. Like, I don't know, whatever. Right, right, like, right, it's right, not. Right, right. It's not really like a regular thing. <laughs> right, right. That's funny. <clears throat> okay, so tell so, us about Elizabeth Wan. Like, Elizabeth Wan. I mean medical center like living with that and being a touring musician and how you've overcome that and you know the perception is you know maybe you know and obviously in no way is this to be offensive because eric's my like one of my best buddies i love him dearly um you know like not a desirable hire because you are in air quotes ill and this is an illness that Eric has, you know, dealt with, figured out treatment, and is able to continue touring as a musician and, may, and work as a musician and maintain his illness, from what I believe, correct? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The hardest part about this whole thing is that, um, like, like you said, touring has all been dried up, I think, because of the perception that people think I can't do it. Um, which is not true. Um, yes, it is. It is hard, harder. You know, it's there. It's it's not the easiest thing in the world, but I can right. do it. Um, 
because I'm not going to lie, it's not, you know, I, I definitely have to, I still have to do dialysis on the road, which isn't fun, you know, but right. it's something I, I have to have to do. Um, and because of and that. And something you're willing, you're prepared and willing to do. It's not like yeah, it's, and I, and I've been, and I've been, an inconvenience, right. like something that you put on the management of tour. It's like something you personally take care of. Right, exactly. It's something I, I deal with, you know. Um, yeah. If. If the tour manager wants to help out, great, you know. But right. that's something I have I have to deal with the scheduling and logistics and stuff. Um, so uh, that's on me, you know. Like like I said, you know, um, like shout out to Jimmy Mack, Anders manager. You know, he was. Really, I love Jimmy Mack. He's such a nice what, guy. What, what, what do I what do I need to do? And I'm like nothing. Just make sure, yeah. you know, um, I can. You know, I need to get here, and then I'll get back. Um, right. And he's like, "Okay, well, I'll I'll uh, I'll pay for your car." And I'm like, "Awesome," because I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, well, I, yeah, so, and so like all those thing. perks like, just make even just the situation just nicer, you know? Because I mean, like, look, it's not something you right. asked for, or it's not something that anything you did, you know. Like, you know, I'm well aware, and God forbid, in the long run, like I don't have like the best recreational behaviors I mean I'm a smoker and I'm a drinker and like whatever but you know it's when that isn't your lifestyle I mean that's like a that's something that I'm well aware of right you know but when that's not your lifestyle and you have something like this transpire and then it really affects you professionally in your craft you know like that's like kind of a double whammy man it's kind of like that's a lot to take in yeah and then on on top of that I have an amazing wonderful a daughter um, who came in to the world not too long before I got diagnosed. So that's a whole other level, you know, trying to, trying to, well, maintain to for dad. her. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, and, and, and she's got all this energy and then some days I just, you know, I'm just not, <laughs> just don't have it. You know, right. So I want to be able to, run around the playground with all the time and sometimes you just need to, need to rest <laughs> and I feel terrible sometimes. Okay. So. Well, so the, on the cool that note, she, she understands. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's end this convo and I'm going to have you back on, you know, later on someday because I, you know, you and I can just talk forever. That's why we're friends. Um, but <laughs> Let's end the note. Just tell our listeners one more time who they can call for the donor information, and then I will post this on my Facebook, but just one more time. Tulane Medical Center. Uh, the living transplant coordinator's name is Elizabeth Wands. That's W-A-N-D as in David S as in Sam. Like a okay. magic wand, but Ooh. plural. Seriously, though, she could be magical for us. So if you're interested. I, I hope she is. Yeah, right? Like, if you're interested in finding out more about how you can help out Eric Boulevard, um, I, I super appreciate it. I've done everything I can and, um, you know, and, and, you know, just really would love to see this work out eventually. And I really want to thank Eric for being so candid and personal with us on the show today and taking his time. And um, I hope to see you soon, bud. And definitely, I also, definitely. yeah, we'll have to figure that out soon. And um, so 
I think that's going to be it for us here today. It was a long one, but a good one. I'm getting so excited about how, like, these conversations just go off in different directions. It's so fun to, like, kind of recount all these tales without alcohol a lot of times because I yeah I feel like I I feel like I know these stories and then you like I hear stuff from my friends and I'm like oh yeah that is what happened um okay so anyways (laughs) thank you everybody for tuning in to Jess Messon broadcast on Lions Radio Network and to Eric Boulevard for sitting down with us today love you buddy and hope to see you soon okay and have a great day everyone bye bud take care